Welcome to the Get Fit AF with Angie Fraser podcast, a fitness channel with a difference. We aim to challenge traditional views on fitness and what it means to be fit AF. We cover real questions from real people, including my clients and friends, chat with inspiring and passionate people, and maybe the odd rant along the way. Join us to get fit AF without the bullshit. Today, I'm speaking with Lee Parks from Whispered Wisdom Hypnotherapy. We're speaking about self-limiting beliefs, which are belief systems you may hold consciously or subconsciously about yourself, which may prevent you from reaching your fitness goals and other goals in life. We talk about how to identify them, what to do about them, and what it's like to go under in a hypnotherapy session. Welcome to Lee Parks from Whispered Wisdom Hypnotherapy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I thought it'd be um, great to catch up because I did personally catch up with you um, earlier this year to make use of your hypnotherapy services. And we've, we had some very interesting discussions as part of that. So generalized discussions as well about what you do. And I think it's a really interesting topic. I've found it really useful. So thank you for coming on. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got in? uh, Well, first of all, what you do and how you got into it. Yep. Okay. So I offer clinical hypnotherapy. Um, I also do a spiritual-based hypnotherapy for people who have got belief systems to do like esoteric kind of belief systems. So I kind of cover all bases, but um, in the last three years, I've specialised in trauma therapy. And it kind of sounds like trauma therapy is a really niche market and it's not for everyone, but I often challenge people when they come in to write down the top 10 or 12 things that have occurred in their lives that have been a distressing event to them. And once they do that, it's like, oh my God, I've been through so much. And human beings are kind of hardwired to move from pleasure sorry away from pain towards pleasure so absolutely easy to forget all that stuff kind of quickly um yeah I've been in that situation myself when I've gone for a service maybe even with yourself but I can think of other services where I've gone because something's not quite right and I, I need some help to resolve it and they ask, you know, what's, what's going on, what's happened in your life. I remember one person of one therapist asking me, so have you had any trauma in your life? And I went, no, no, I'm all good. Cause I think that I am. And then when we started speaking about particular things, I'm like, oh my God. And I think that it's probably, I'm starting to rethink how I define trauma personally, uh, because to me, prior to that, I felt like it was something that happened to you, like a, a like a really awful event, like something that you only see on the news, maybe. Um, and I now know there's, there's, we can experience trauma on many different levels in society it can be you know like from a structural level down to an interpersonal level 
Yeah, definitely. Most people that I encounter seem to think that trauma is on the severe end of the spectrum. You know, you've been a victim of a sexual assault or a domestic violence yes. situation or some sort of um, robbery in a store, armed robbery. So people tend to have that um, extreme thought about trauma. But what, what I encourage people to think about is just life's distressing events. So something that distresses me might not distress you. Um, so yes. it's it's not a comparison of this dreadful thing happened to me and I haven't broken, why haven't you? You know, like you haven't been through that and you've broken, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Um, I think, oh, sorry, that's my, um, my little AirPods were just playing on their own then. I was thinking, <laughs> what is that noise? Ah, it's the a little voices. bit of a little bit of a spiritual thing I just chucked them on the floor um <laughs> so going back to trauma um yeah oh, that was absolutely my belief it, it was but I um and going back to talking about it ha happening on a structural societal level I'm it now in the last few years from working with my clients on a health and fitness maybe fat loss basis noticing the trauma that people have experienced in that department so around body image around what they have to do to um, become a healthier version of themselves or whether they even identify with what they perceive to be a healthy person and so do they belong um, you know in a gym or wherever it might be yeah definitely um, things to do with with um, body image are a huge issue with a lot of my clients even if they're not looking to go and do some fat loss or some fitness work, people just don't feel safe within their bodies. And that's one of the biggest limiting beliefs, actually. Uh, yes, yeah, so I can tell I can tell you that from personal experience. And I do find it really difficult to break as a trainer. Um, well, it's not it's not my job to break it, I suppose. It's my job to create an environment in my, this is my perception of how I deliver services. It's my job to create an environment where people can feel safe to work on their particular fitness goals. Um, but I have had uh, multiple instances where I've failed to be able to make that breakthrough with a client. And I know that some of that comes down to scope of practice and also people's perception. Um, but I do love reading about this stuff and hearing people's experiences because I think that if people hold self-limiting beliefs that are preventing them from getting the help they need to have a healthier body, then it's a bit of a problem. It's a bit of a societal problem because they're then experiencing um, the after effects of that in terms of um, the cost to the medical system, all the chronic health issues, even mental health issues. Yeah, absolutely. And often people who come for, for trauma hypnotherapy, they'll say to me, oh, it's all in my mind. And I say to them, okay, well, close your eyes and explain to me how a panic attack affects you. And they'll say, oh, my heart races, my jaw clenches, my shoulders go up around my ears. And I'll say, well, that's your body. That's not in your mind. Your mind and your body are very, very connected. Yes, absolutely. I, I think I had a discussion with you where I, I thought I had said I thought I had a panic attack, but I couldn't be sure. And it was at that point that I was struggling to breathe a particular time um, earlier in the year. 
yeah. I just um, became overwhelmed with um, everything that I needed to do and my limited time to do it in. And I found myself shallow breathing, but I never would have said before that I suffer from panic attacks. So uh, it was very scary as well. And I suppose everyone experiences them in different ways. Um, but yeah, debilitating, definitely. And probably I, I'm pretty sure that's my first experience of that. And I'm not keen to go back there, which is why I ended up um, getting in touch with you because I found it, um, I was trying to get into a local psychologist and I, he's booked right out. Um, he's great at what he does. So I get that. And there's not many of them locally. Like I know, know of a few, but it seems like it's difficult, not only for people to access your standard medical services like GPs, but even mental health services locally. And I think that's where um, I have seen in my work, people break down. I often get tears when I'm working with people and it's not because of something that I've done to them. It's because of things going on in their lives. And so as a fitness trainer, you sometimes end up being, you know, the first line for people or because you see people a lot more frequently. And so um, I do get that firsthand view of people's, um, I don't want to just keep saying mental health, but even just, yeah, the way that their body image might affect their um their day-to-day -day life or the way that their self-limiting beliefs may hold them back as well? Yeah, you are definitely on the front line with people for that because once you're in that fatigued physical state anyway, trying to work out, then that's when all of those emotions overflow. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. You sorry, go. go ahead. I think um, also I notice that when people become overwhelmed with how much work they may feel like they have to do and how hard it is going to be as well or that they think it's going to be. Yes, yeah. So when we talk about belief systems, they are so complex. There's like our core beliefs form between the age of zero to seven. So the core beliefs are the foundations which you build your life on. So it's if, if you think of it in terms of... Um, having a religion and being brought up in a Christian country, those are your Christian beliefs. So your core beliefs are that foundational in your life. So from zero to seven, they're formed and they're really based on the experiences and, and the things that you're told and repeatedly exposed to in your childhood. So as kids, you take what the, the people around you, your parents, your siblings, your grandparents, your teachers, you take what they're saying as fact whether it is or not, so you believe them. And so once you take on those core beliefs, they can be positive. So you might think that you're so self-confident or you know, you're so self-assured and that might be a positive thing for you as a child. But somebody else might say to you something like, you're stupid, you're dumb. And you take that on as fact and you don't question it because you're a child and, and these people are authoritarians around you. So a, a core belief can either be negative or positive and a negative core belief can also be self-limiting, such as somebody being told they're sitting at the table, they've got food on their plate, they're not overly hungry, there are starving children in the world, you can't leave wow. the table until your plate's empty. So the yeah. pattern continues then into adulthood and I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, 
And I used to think as a kid, well, how does me eating my food <laughs> help starving children? But anyway, that's, you know, one yeah. of those. And I think it's it's just a well-meaning um, comment by people t- in order to try to put things in context and maybe make children feel a little bit more grateful um, for their situation. But, yeah, it can have a negative impact later on. Um, I And I think... For me personally, I after doing a bit of reading on self-limiting beliefs in terms of how can I understand this a little bit better to in it in order to help my clients as well as myself, I started digging deep and thinking, okay, so naming some of my own self-limiting beliefs without going into the details on here and knowing that they quite often come from earlier times in our lives, I had to dig really, really deep like in with one in particular it took me months to try and work out where was this coming from because I couldn't make the connection on the surface you know this didn't happen to me I didn't see these things happen as a child so why do I believe this and eventually I dug right down into something and and I know we can be incorrect on that and it's it's nothing traumatic at all it's something as innocuous as what you've just described like just you know, nothing traumatizing, just um, a belief that was developed because of a particular um, pattern of events in my life as a child. Well, that's what what I think anyway. Um, but going a little bit off topic here, I think that um, from what I've read, you need to maybe be in order to resolve it, you need to go back and find where it begins. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's why with um, the trauma therapy stuff that I do, I can adapt it to pretty much any scenario. And with with people who are going down their fat loss path, there's always something that sits under it. Why do they do the behaviour that they do? And inevitably, you can trace it back to a core belief, a limiting belief, something that they've taken on and they actually believe it to be true. Even though they can say to you, oh, no, no, that's not true. Every time a certain set of circumstances will appear, it will trigger them back to that behaviour. Okay, yeah. So we're talking conscious and unconscious thoughts here, aren't we? So those self-limiting beliefs become embedded in our subconscious. This is my basic way of putting it. And even though we might know that it's not going to help our goals if we eat an entire block of chocolate this is one of mine um then even though we know that consciously and it's logical our subconscious mind is not logical did I get that right yes yeah (laughs) so limiting beliefs or self-limiting beliefs are like cognitive distortion so um they're really just assumptions attitudes perceptions that you have about yourself Um, and about how the world works around you and how you fit into that. So with a core belief, they're formed between zero and seven and can be limiting. But usually a self-limiting belief comes about in your teen years. So that's when you become aware of yourself in the world more than ever. So um, you're starting to, to question, how do I fit into this? And, you know, you might get bullied, you might get ridiculed for a particular personal trait or characteristic um, and that's when you start to to come up with these really um, limiting 
beliefs that are really designed, their whole specific purpose is to keep you safe. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of a limiting belief. So by not, okay, here's one for me. I did not like participating in sport or PE um, as even before teen years, I didn't like it. I didn't like the way some children behaved in that competitive context. Um, And I felt, you know, maybe a little bit inadequate or something because I might not have been as skilled as them. So then I avoided those situations later on in life. So that's to avoid maybe um, looking bad or embarrassing myself. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what they do is they hold you back your your limiting beliefs hold you back in some way from achieving your full potential or what you're capable of but they do that as a protective mechanism so that you're not putting yourself out there and and opening yourself up to that sort of judgment ridicule that kind of thing and you know some of the most common self-limiting beliefs are things like oh I'm too old to do that or I'm not old enough to do that I'm not smart enough I don't have enough time I don't have enough money um, I'll be judged for doing that. If oh, I, yeah. Yeah, if I do that, um, I may be rejected by my friends or family. But the biggest, the two biggest self-limiting beliefs that we have are firstly, I'm not safe. So you'll avoid doing things because you have a sense of not being safe. And the second one, the biggest one is I'm not good enough. Mm, yeah. Yes, I'm resonating with that. That has come up a few times for myself and probably in the context of participating in sports and PE, I suppose, as simply as that. Um, And what came to mind while you were just talking there with uh, the kinds of things that I hear from clients, and sometimes in the fitness industry, we've got a tendency to call them excuses Mm -hmm. as well. And that's certainly something that um, I was like exposed to early on um and now I'm sort of questioning that but on the surface they may look like excuses you mentioned a couple I don't have time I don't have the money um another one is I'm just going I won't stick to it yeah so before they've even started they're saying that they're hopeless they they won't stick to it anyway so it's not going to work or I'm not fit enough to come and participate in group fitness is another one yeah and whatever the excuse is that comes out of people it has to do with what their nature is you know some people have an extremist nature where it might be all or nothing black or white other people might have a narrow view where they focus um, on the negative and they don't see any positives in the bigger picture you know some people might be defeatists and they might give up before they start that kind of thing so a limiting belief is compounded by the type of nature a person has Mm. you know some people will just have a go at anything and then other people are really hesitant yeah and I guess there's a lot of um nature and nurture that feeds into that too yes all around us and not just saying oh it was my childhood as in my immediate family home but we're also exposed to you know school other forms of care, other like situations like sports and group activities that can shape that as well um, yes. in the community-based activities too and other, other people in the family. Mm. Absolutely. And we, we talk about um, limiting beliefs being mostly formed around your teen years, but you can, you can, can 
conjure up um, a new self-limiting belief in your adult years. You know, if you have a failed relationship because you haven't chosen somebody who's compatible with you, and then you move on and have another relationship and you haven't chosen somebody who's overly compatible with you as well, you can set yourself up for that to be a limiting belief. I attract the wrong people. Yes. And so you keep attracting or you keep yeah. finding more of those people. Yes. Um, I've done a fair bit of work on myself um, over the last few years um, in this regard, I would say. Um, I worked with, actually doing a podcast would be one of them. I can't do that. What do I know? I can't talk about anything interesting. Um, and I'm working with a business coach who has helped me to move past a lot of my self-limiting beliefs, utilising, you know, particular strategies um, which I found to be really helpful. So I guess in the context of our discussion, I mean, I, I'm assuming I've done it a particular way. I'm assuming there's going to be lots of different ways you can approach self-limiting beliefs. But what ways do you find most useful that we can combat self-limiting beliefs and move past them to be able to do the things that we say that we want to do, whether it's participating in something that we might be worried about um, but we really want to do or um, getting a job or um, you know a, a, a raise or a nice house or something <laughs> yeah well firstly it's your self-talk it's the things that you say to yourself it's the things that you think about yourself so if you find yourself say the average person will will use more negative terms than they will positive so everything is a negative to start with. So you've got to challenge your self-talk because words have powerful energy and everything comes down to energy and vibration. And if, if you're always in that victim space where you, I can't, I won't, you know, there's, there's nothing that you're going to take control of and step up to, then that is, is the first place that you need to start. So for example, um, I'm, I've got my motorbike L's and I love my motorbike, but the thought of riding down the highway with all those semi-trailers and all those crazies in four-wheel drives just leaves me a bit cold. Hey, so, I might be one of those crazies in a four-wheel drive. <laughs> <laughs> so usually they've got fluoro stickers and whippy flags aerial. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't have flags. <laughs> yeah, so so I tell myself when I get on the bike that everything will be fine. Don't worry about what ifs. Enjoy the now. So instead of getting on the bike saying, I'm going to get run over by a truck, I get on the bike and say, I'm going to have a great ride. Yes. So yeah. self-talk. Yes, absolutely. And one of the tools that I've used for my self-talk over the last few years is journaling. Yes. And I found it really useful. And also asking myself questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, your your thoughts and your words, um, solely or collectively, it, they will influence every single action and experience and interaction that you have. Every experience, action and interaction is influenced by what you think and what you say. Absolutely. Um, and my understanding of it is it's because you you might have a worry 
and a picture in your head about what's going to come of that. And I still do it too. I'll tell you a really good example of this in a minute. Um, but you might have that worry. And the more you focus on it, the more your conscious behaviors start to align with bringing it, you know, to fruition. Yes. So I like to tell my clients that if they can focus on their goal, whether it's a fat loss or a fitness goal, if they can create a picture in their head that they have as if they've achieved the goal and think of it in the present tense, this was a, a tool that was taught to me by somebody, um, and try to keep focusing on their goal as if they've already achieved it then they're, it's not going to magically manifest and happen but they're more likely to do the behaviors that they need to do to get them there am I is that would that be it in a nutshell yes absolutely um, the old saying is energy flows where intention goes so the more you focus on something the more your energy will go in that direction so you can make um, negative things a self-fulfilling prophecy and, you know, I have a great example of that. I worked once with a man who was terrified that he's, he would end up with schizophrenia because his father was schizophrenic. There was nothing in his medical history to indicate that there was any reason that that would occur. And he kept focusing on it and focusing on it. And voila, he manifested it. Oh, that's so tragic. It was very, very sad. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we take um, certain situations to be fact, like whether, um, linking it back to the fitness thing, because this is just so common, is that, oh, I'm too busy at work, um, you know, and that, and, and that might seem like it's an external circumstance that you don't have any influence over. So I'm too busy with work to be able to fit my exercise in. But if you really look at it, you know, people do have the ability to influence how they use their time, um, how they set their boundaries around work as well, and how they prioritise different things. Um, but a lot of people don't um, believe that. They just let things happen to them. And I find that really interesting. It's absolutely intriguing. And, you know, two of the biggest things that I do with clients myself is, I give them an exercise to um, establish healthy boundaries and it's to do with people around them and the, the emotion that they attach to that person because sometimes, um, sometimes you can, can be pushed around by people that are closest to you. So you need to establish a healthy boundary there where you say to people, you know, I'd love to help you if I have time but right now I need to focus on me doing xyz mm. and you know people all ages and um, just recently a 70 year old man not good with boundaries so we sat down and we spent some time working on his boundaries and he went home he thought about them and the next time I saw him he was a different man he said you know I've clawed back all this time I'm not doing everything for everybody I've got some me time I feel better about myself Oh, and that's amazing. And I love that you take, you have a man who was struggling with that and that like elderly relatively as well, because so often I see this with women, but yeah. obviously it can happen to anyone. Well, particularly the, the other side to the boundary thing is, is communication. So yes. people cannot have a difficult conversation. And that was like this guy, he, he felt that he just had to 
put up and shut up, you know, the stiff upper lip thing and bite your tongue. You don't speak your emotions. You're a, a man of that era. Uh, yeah. And yeah. when I said to him, how do you say no to people? He said, I don't. Mm. And I said, you know, there are many, many ways to say no. And even if it's just saying to somebody, I can't help you with that right now, but in two weeks time, give me a yell. Yeah. And start, start small. I, in my personal experience, start small saying no, don't make it a huge deal. There's something that you're going to stress over. Just start practicing it. It's like you flex a muscle and you mentioned difficult conversations and I'm mostly someone who doesn't mind having those not all the time obviously they're a bit uncomfortable but I think the more I've found um, within my inner circles the more willing I am to have those difficult discussions the less the need for them comes up absolutely absolutely once you start and set your boundaries and really stick to them then you find that other people will stick to them as well. Yeah, and it's leading you, by example. Yeah, and if you test it out, the one time that you let your boundaries slide, it will turn to shit. <laughs> oh, yes, I've said that before. If I say yes to people that in a way, and this has happened to me every summer previously I've got some big boundaries coming this next summer season for myself but you know um person you know I really really need your help and you know can you do this and this time and all this and I'll reluctantly go okay well that means that I'm having less time with my family not to them this is my thought process but you know this person really needs my help so and they said it has to be in this particular way at this particular time so I'll, I'll just do it you know, I'll just sort them out here and, the, and then I'll be able, and then they start cancelling. So I've organised to be at work and then they don't hold up their end of the bargain. And I think we spoke about this too. So I think you yeah. were talking about once someone, so you're in a, a coaching agreement and if, if the coach starts putting in more effort than the person yeah, being it needs to stop and I've, I've that's one thing from one of our discussions that I really took away from you and it's something that I'm going to apply uh well I have started applying that going forward so it's yeah, boundaries around how much help you'll give based on how much effort the person's putting in to implement it absolutely uh, that's one of the the phrases that most of my clients will tell you that I say to them is <laughs> If, if I feel like I'm putting in more effort than you are, then all bets are off. Yeah, and it comes from a place of love because you don't help people by doing trying to do the work for them that you can't even do. They have to do it. So, yes. um, and yeah, anyway, that's, that's a whole yeah. other discussion. But what I did really want to talk about today, which a lot of people are probably interested in because I have spoken about the hypnotherapy that I've had with you um, and people like... I love talking about it because people's eyes just go wide, like, oh, my God, I could never do that. Um, but it's funny, people's perception about what's involved versus what it actually is. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, from your perspective as the therapist, what, what is it that you're doing when you put people under? What is being under? Okay, so... <laughs> I know it, what my experience is. That's all. It might not be the same for everybody. 
Yes, absolutely. It's a different experience for everybody. So what happens is, as we we're talking about earlier, there are three levels of mind. So you were talking about the, the subconscious mind earlier. So we deal with what we're doing now is we're using our, our critical mind. So it's our mind that thinks, plans, reasons and assesses what we're hearing. So underneath that mind sits this unconscious layer. And at the very bottom is the subconscious layer. So the subconscious is kind of like the file, hard drive of a computer that's got all the files of all the things that have ever happened to you in your entire life. And we know that it's there because you don't consciously remember everything that's happened. So somebody might say to you, hey, remember that time when we, and you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But you didn't because it was in your subconscious mind. So the unconscious layer that sits between the two of them, that is where you store all of your limiting beliefs, your patterns of behavior, um, and really the programs that you run. So that's all stored in the unconscious mind. So really the way the three minds work together is that consciously, and, and I think I've used um, the example of fear of dogs with you and with other people. Yes, so yeah. If you have a fear of dogs, consciously you see it with your critically evaluating mind and you understand it's a dog. And you have this pattern of behaviour that you run away or you have a meltdown when you see a dog because you're scared of them. So your mind darts down to that subconscious mind and it finds that file that says, when you were two years old, you were knocked off grandma's front step by a fat Labrador and you broke your arm. So a two-year-old kid with a broken arm from a dog is going to equate a dog with pain, fear, tears, all of that sort of stuff. So the program and the beliefs and the patterns of behavior that you store in the unconscious mind is to run away because all dogs are dangerous, they cause pain. So that's kind of how the three minds work together. But they correlate with brain waves that we have. So when you're critically evaluating in your conscious mind, you would be at a beta brain level. So that's your critically evaluating brain. Underneath that brainwave is an alpha brainwave. So alpha is a dozy kind of brainwave. It's when you have a daydream, you have a cup of tea or coffee, you look out the window and your mind wanders. That's an yeah. alpha brainwave. Underneath that is a theta brainwave. So theta is right at that point kind of before you go to sleep. So you might sit in your lounge chair and your husband might be rattling around the kitchen, the TV might be on and you know that stuff's happening, but you've not got a clue what it is. And you're just in that zone where you're about to drop off to sleep. Underneath that is Delta with rapid eye movement. So, okay. so I was in, so when I'm sitting in your chair and we're working through, it's almost like to me a guided meditation after yeah and so I'm in theta am I where I'm because I'm still aware but I'm sort of yep dozy. So what, what happens is we do at the start of a hypnotherapy session we do an induction so you'll go from that critical um, beta brainwave down into alpha which is that dozy state Oh, and then yeah. because your brain operates on a wave pattern, you'll drop down into the top of theta, but then you'll come back up into alpha and down into theta and back up into alpha. So when you're in a hypnotic trance, when your brain is in that alpha place, you'll be very clear about what I'm saying to you. And then as you slip down into theta, it's like I'm not even listening what she banging on about. But yeah. then you'll come back up 
into a more of an awareness, which is again that alpha state. So you slip between the two. Yeah, and I just tell people, look, it just feels like a deep relaxation. I can hear the birds outside. I can hear the traffic outside. Yes. I understand what's going on. I there's no loss of control. No, not at all. And it's like you don't care about those distractions because you're focused, you have a heightened focus on a narrower view. So if we're talking about anxiety or if we're talking about fat loss or whatever we're talking about in hypnosis, you're more focused on that particular subject. Yeah. And it's a great way to be because we're so distracted all the time these days. Um, yeah. And that's why I think I walk out of your sessions um, just feeling like I've had a beautiful sleep, even though I've been awake and I just feel really, really rested. But I know that um, I know that when I'm in the chair, I am consciously thinking if I wanted to stop the session at any time, I would be able to, but yes. I choose to be in it. Yes. Yes. Um, very rare do people open their eyes and say, I don't like this once they yeah. start to do it. Um, you know, people with, with anxiety might not go as deep as somebody who doesn't have anxiety because they've got that innate desire to control things. Like hypervigilance or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but they can still go into that alpha state. And there is proof that what you can... Because we don't use visualisation. We use your imagination. Quite different things. So visualisation, people think I can't do hypnotherapy because I can't visualise things. Yeah. Very, very, very few people get good visual pictures. So it's all about your active imagination. So if I asked you to close your eyes and imagine a lemon, you'd be able to really know what it looked like in your mind. If I asked you to cut that lemon, you'd probably even your mouth would start to water because you could smell it. And if I asked you to stick it in your mouth, then you would feel all that saliva come. So that is you richly imagining something. So if you can, when, when you get somebody in a hypnotic state, when you use all the right words and all the right cues and you get all the right body signals, you can get them to richly imagine moving past whatever it is that holds them back and being on the other side of it and not caring about it anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I love it personally. Um, so you've mentioned that you have a bit of an assessment process with people um, and you work with people on all kinds of things like self-limiting beliefs or um, a trauma or anything that they're experiencing in life. How can people work with you? Um, they can go to our Facebook page and send us a private message or they can contact us via the website. Our phone numbers are on the website as well. Um, yeah. So I'll pop those into the show notes. What's your, your Facebook page is Whis Whispered Wisdom Hypnotherapy? Yeah, yeah. Whispered Wisdom Hypnotherapy. Yeah, um, and what I do for everybody is I offer everybody a 45-minute free consultation. Sometimes that blows out to an hour and, and I'm good with giving my time away because if somebody's going to sit down and do the work that they need to do to get past it, generally it's going to be three to four sessions at, at the least. Yeah. Um, and if they're going to have to dig deep into past things that hold them back, because as we're talking about limiting beliefs, if you want to lose fat and you're going along you're doing it okay for three or four days or a week 
Yeah, you're doing the things like exercise, watching what you eat. Yeah. Yep. The minute life becomes overwhelming, you're going to junk that because it's hard and then you're going to go back to your old habits. Yes. Good reason for that. And you mentioned it earlier, and that's your unconscious mind and those patterns and your triggers. You know, so it's going to run the program. I'm not safe doing this, so I'm going to go back to my old habits. And generally, there is something that sits under there. And generally, it's an emotional issue or a trauma that needs to be resolved. So Mm. in that 45 minute consultation, I talk to people about what's gone on in their lives. And I say to them, if we work wholly and solely on not overeating and exercising more and giving you motivation, that's great, but it doesn't resolve the thing that's going to rear its ugly head when life gets tough. Yeah. And um, I can see that pattern of behaviour in a lot of people, which is, um, as I always say, summer people, because they'll start out gung-ho and even ignore my advice about being perhaps a little bit more moderate and sustainable because they just want to get it done now. And then within, you know, three weeks or so, they've just reverted completely. I can't find them. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's very common. It's sad. And it's um, interesting when you, when you, from your perspective, when you link it to um, those self-limiting beliefs and emotions, it does make me be feel a little bit more empathy rather than just, oh my God, what have I done? What, what is with them? Um, you know, um, but yeah, it, uh, breaking those, I guess, requires a lot of self-awareness and that's where someone like yourself comes in. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a big fan of the free initial consultation because I do that with people now too, to see whether, um, they even want to work with me. It's, it's, um, getting to know if you can help the person before you start the big energetic process that's needed, I guess, in both of our instances. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, someone will come in and I'll say to them, I'd love for you to start this, but you're not at the starting line. You really need to see a GP. You really need to get that particular issue stabilised. Or, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to help you. Maybe you could see somebody else. And and I'll refer them on because my other big phrase I'm really known for is I don't want to waste your money or my time. That's Um, right. I, I do want to help people and I do usually go the extra mile for people, but they need to step up as well. And um, I, I can honestly say the majority of my clients do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Referring. Well, it's a big commitment to dedicate 45 minutes to go to somebody and talk about some of this stuff the same with the people that come and see me. So I think that sort of gets them over the line a little bit as well like uh they're willing to commit that time and show up okay that's step one yeah I had a a lady come the other day who wanted to lose weight and we were we had the 45 minute chat and she said I think I've learned more about myself and my life in this 45 minutes than I have from any other professional that I've spoken to so that's amazing yeah I can't um shout out loud the value of those sessions to people and and to me as well because um you know I, I get to know who's a tire kicker or what yes. level of service they want and 
Yeah, yeah, before you launch in, because I don't know whether you do this, but I sometimes, well, have in the past, and I'm learning not to do it as much as that. You have that first consultation with someone and you just want to help them so badly. You're running all the different scenarios and possibilities in your head about what they can do, how much they'll need to do, what information they need. And it's almost really difficult to stop yourself from just blurting it out. Um, and overwhelming people but you start to well I start to ramp up into that high energy state and problem solving state and then I, I find it quite um, quite uh, mentally demanding and I can feel quite fatigued if I'd like there's no way I can do more than a couple of consultations with a new person a week because I've got to learn about that person interact with them and try to come up with a, a particular solution for them and that just requires a lot of energy from me and I've learned the hard way that I just can't do too many at a time yeah that's true that is very true I um I probably see maybe two to three people new clients a week um but then I'll only work with five people a week on top of that so yeah I I don't overload myself because it is very demanding you're right there with people in their stuff yes and, you know whether it's a body image thing or whether it's something else it's it's really difficult for that person and I will use the word it, it's traumatizing for them to be yeah and I was just going to go back to that and say a lot of my work is trying to gain trust from people who have been traumatized by the fitness industry somewhere else in the past and some look sometimes some of these practitioners are they're not they don't know any better they're just delivering what they were taught and passing it on and um but the the impact that it can have on people's self-belief around whether they are capable of achieving what they really want to do and whether me telling them that they don't have to do hours and hours of intensive cardio to reach their goal or go cut out carbs for the rest of their life a lot of the time some people just don't believe me and they just um toddle on so yes. there's a lot of yeah a re trust to be regained and a lot of work to do there yeah yeah and you know i think people on the whole that come to start with they want help and they need you to take them by the hand and say, come on, we're going to fix this and this is how we're going to do it. They don't need us to be upselling and pushing and peddling and shouting at them to be better, be more. They need to, to come at it at their own pace. That's right. Absolutely. And sometimes that's just a little bit slower than what they would like after consuming lots of images online of, you know, six and eight week transformations all of that um but you know that's the world we live in isn't it it is so, <laughs> thanks for coming on today lee i'm gonna have to leave it at that for now but i'm sure we could have other discussions um thank you for your insights i'm just waiting for my children to burst through the door so <laughs> we'll leave it at that today but we could keep talking um thank you so much for your time and, and thank you i will catch you soon no worries at all. Thank you very much, Ange. Thanks, Lee.